Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Hey, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Friday morning show for you today, including we'll tell you all about the biggest ever bust of counterfeit toonies in Canadian history. It happened at Montreal's Mirabelle Airport. A sharp-eyed customs officer became suspicious about a package supposedly containing 10,000 metal badges. At least that's what it said on the shipping label. She opened the package up and found 12,000 counterfeit $2 coins. Yeah, 12,000 fake toonies. We will dig into this today. How, just how big is this counterfeit currency by mail scam from China? Uh, how many of these fake coins are circulating in Canada? And how can you spot one in your change? We'll tell you all about that on the show today. All right, we'll also talk about the sovereign citizen movement. Have you heard about this now? I'll tell you, man, you watch some of these social media videos of people who get pulled over by the police and then try to tell the police officer they're a sovereign citizen and the law does not apply to them. Oh, Sometimes these police officers just lose it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a very good idea. It's happening more, though, including a recent example in Chilliwack. We're going to play the audio of that for you. So we got all that. We have lots more on the show today. But first, we start with Bill 45. Now, this is the bill from the B.C. government that would prevent municipalities from shutting down encampments in tent cities unless they can prove adequate shelter space is available for people living in these encampments. This has triggered a backlash from municipalities. Many say these encampments are dangerous. They're fire hazards. Premier David Eby has intervened on this one here. We'll tell you about that in a moment. I got the mayor of Prince George standing by here to discuss Simon Yu. Uh, very pleased to welcome him. Mayor, Mayor Yu, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike, for, in the, for the invite. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. Your city has been in the news recently on, on this issue because there was an encampment in Prince George that I know the city, the city shut that one down, right? Yeah, we had a two uh, encampments. Uh, due to say, uh, fire uh, safety, we, uh, we closed the one encampment and... Uh, so everybody is now it's uh, down at the Marcuson flat, the other encampment right now. Yes. Okay, so there's still another one in Prince George. Are you going to shut that one down too? Um, it is our intention to end all encampments uh, eventually. But right now, um, that particular encampment, uh, first of all, it's protected by the court. Um, yeah. And we are trying to do our best to to improve the situation there. So to make sure that all occupants, people there, is uh, they're safe. Um, what do you, Mayor Yu, what do you think about the province here, this bill they put in front of the legislature? Premier David Eby has stepped in here now trying to press the pause button on this after a lot of municipalities complained here. This, what, this bill would, pre what, it would prevent municipalities from shutting these encampments down unless they can prove their shelter space available, right? What do you think of that? 
Well, I think the intention was uh, was to was good to make sure that the municipality uh, we need to provide uh, showers and um, uh, one meal a day for for everybody. The issues uh, rises uh, because every municipality is uh, facing the situation slightly different, quite a different in some cases. And here in Prince George, the summer and winter condition is uh, drastically different. Uh, number of people require shelter during the summer, during the winter is different. I I think, you know, the, the thing is uh, the province uh, is uh, responsible for shelter, but the, where it's uh, who should provide some water, and portable water for shower and uh, one meal a day uh, while, while there's an encampment taking place, that requires yeah. cooperation between the province and the city to some degree, in my opinion. In my opinion, anyway. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. So as 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 you're aware, Mayor Yu, the provincial government, especially the housing minister, Ravi Kalon, w- was not happy when Prince George moved in to shut down that most recent encampment in your yes. city. And I spoke to, I know you're very familiar with this, and I spoke to the housing minister on my show recently about this, and I pointed out to him that your fire chief had identified this encampment as being dangerous for fires or a potential explosion there, but he was still unhappy that the city was moving to shut this encampment down. Here's what he had to say to me, and then I'll get your thoughts on this. So this is BC Housing Minister Ravi Kalon to me on a recent show. Let's listen. Right now, they're just moving folks all over the community, uh, and it's not going to make the community safe. It, It might be politically expedient to say this is the right move now, but it won't solve the challenge that Prince George is facing. Okay, he says you guys were just moving people all around the city because it was politically popular thing to do to shut this encampment down, but it's not going to solve the problems. What, what do you think of that? What do, what do you say to him? It, the safety issue was uh, was uh, was a primary concern. Uh, we we have uh, twenty or thirty uh, propane tanks and people were packed together. Uh, you know, 20 to 50 people at a time, the packing in a very close proximity in, in, a, in an area that's very, very, very small. We're talking about, you know, perhaps a city lot, size of a city lot. Now, the piece I think I agree with uh, uh, Minister Ravi is that we should have done a little bit more consultation with, uh, with the encampment uh, people involved and uh, with the First Nation. In, uh, the, because we have about you know fifty to seventy percent of uh, encampment population at any one time, the indigenous population. So we we, yeah. we have an obligation under the MOU that I signed with uh, Premier Evie to consult with uh, First Nation to find look, uh, permanent solutions. And uh, so to that aspect, but the safety is a primary concern for for us for all yeah. the citizens. Um, homeless people in, included. They are all my citizens as well. The, the issue is um, it's a dynamic one because uh, the the people uh, having encampment, uh, we, we're facing encampment here in Prince George. The majority of the uh, people need shelter. They are not uh, from Prince George, to, so to speak. You know, so from time to time they migrate from different area. Um, yeah. The nature is a dynamic so the solution has to be uh, flexible. So I'm uh, I'm glad uh, Premier Eby 
past the uh, 45. So we have a little bit of time to discuss in what format um, to provide some of these services and make the transition smooth, perhaps in the form of a public shower uh, shower uh, location and make sure you know we have summer meal on the wheel to make sure that people in the certain area they will definitely get the food to meet the intent of the bill 45 yeah. but that yeah. required discussion because uh you know i sit on the mayor caucus uh all the mayors we agreed that you know the situation different you know from coquillam to prince george to vancouver to burnaby to nanamo we all face in slightly different public um encampment issues yeah so the need to be a little bit local as well. Speaking to Simon Yu, the mayor of Prince George, talking about the provincial effort here to prevent municipalities from shutting down homeless encampments unless they have adequate shelter space available. That was the intent of a bill in front of the legislature here, very controversial, Bill 45. Municipalities complained about it, said a lot of municipalities don't have this shelter space available. David Eby now stepping in here. He's pressed the pause button on this bill. Let's have another listen to the housing minister here speaking to me about the situation in Prince George on a recent show. Mayor, Mayor you get your thoughts. Ravi Kalant, BC housing minister. He says, look, cities should not be shutting down these encampments unless they do it in a way that makes sure that people are going to be taken care of. Let's have a listen to what he has to say. Let's Essentially, what you're doing is you're moving people all the way through the city, dispersing them everywhere. Uh, it's hard to provide supports for individuals when they're dispersed. Uh, and so why not do it in a methodical way? Okay, so he says, do it, do it in a methodical way. Work together with the province here. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. That is, uh, we, uh, the problem we're facing on the street is a unique one. We, as a society, we have not facing a magnitude of problem of such um, for a long time, if, if ever. So right now, in order to solve the problem, it's uh, all, all hands on deck. We need to work together as a one people to address the situation with the NGOs, with the minister, with the BC housing, and uh, we all have a role to play. Um, you, you know, the, when we talk about um, people does not have a place to take a shower, they have no portable water, mm-hmm. uh, this, this is a human rights stuff. You know, we, 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 we as a society, we can do better, you know, but okay. in order to, in order to get it better, we, we need to talk, we need to open up the all communication channel to, to see who does what and where, you know, this, this is something, uh, we, we need to have a serious conversation around it. And uh, so I mean, yeah. tend to, you know, work closely with the ministers and with the, all the NGOs on the ground to, to get this piece done. Mayor Yu, thank you for coming on to speak about this today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, here we go now. Can you beat a traffic ticket by claiming you're a sovereign citizen and the law does not apply to you? Yeah, you can't give me a ticket. I am a sovereign citizen and I do not consent to your traffic laws, so you can't give me a ticket. This is really a thing. It happens uh, quite a, quite more often. I think it's happening more often than in the past. And it's a big thing on uh, social media videos. Like If, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, just do a search on sovereign citizen videos on YouTube or TikTok, and 
spend a few hours watching these confrontations between these sovereign citizens and police officers. This can get pretty wild. Now, I got Kyla Lee standing by to discuss this. Now, this is happening more often, including a recent uh, confrontation between police and a driver in Chilliwack. Have a listen to this report. Global News reporter Cassidy Moscone. November 9 in Chilliwack. What appears to be a routine traffic stop. Hi there. Hi. License registration, please. Filmed and uploaded to social media. You haven't provided me the documentation. You do have a driver's license. You're driving with no insurance and wrong number plates. So you are going to be getting a traffic ticket today and the vehicle is going to be towed. Okay? No, I don't agree to that. What follows is a barrage of defiance. I don't consent to any of this. You're, you're creating a non-consensual security agreement on the side of the road without right. You guys understand that you're breaching my peace, right? You guys are going to try and criminally harass me into your compliance. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to accept your ticket. I do not comply. I'm a sovereign citizen. Let's discuss this with my guest now, Kyla Lee. Kyla is a traffic lawyer, acumen law. I always appreciate her time on the show. Hi, Kyla. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me back. Okay, Kyla, tell me all about these this sovereign citizen stuff here. Is this happening more often? This is happening more often. It seemed to have yeah. started to gain traction during COVID when people sort of were researching ways to get around, um, you know, vaccine mandates and, and restaurant shutdowns and things like that. And they ended up finding this almost like conspiracy theory idea that the entire government of Canada is actually illegitimate. And if you don't consent to be governed by Canada and the police and all of the rules that apply here, you can do whatever you want without consequence. Yeah. And is there any basis in law for this at all? Like, has anyone been (laughs) able to go and stand up in front of a judge and say, you know, you got to throw this ticket out because I'm a sovereign citizen. I don't consent to it. No, nobody has ever won on the basis of of making these arguments. Um, it, part of the problem um, with the way that these arguments have been uh, sort of prevailing is that because when you go to court and you dispute a ticket or you dispute a charge, the Crown still has to prove your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. There have been cases where people have raised these arguments and they have won their cases for reasons related to the actual law, um, but they mm. don't pay attention and don't respect the courts enough that they actually think that they they won because of the nonsense that they're spilling in court. Yeah. Have you seen some of these videos? I mean, who hasn't, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah. have seen hundreds probably. Yeah. 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 They are, I've seen some. It, you can get really go down the rabbit hole in this thing and start watching these things because in some ways they're kind of hypnotic. You're watching these videos and you're, you're watching this guy confront a police officer and t- trying to convince a police officer that the law doesn't apply to you, so leave me alone. And sometimes... This stuff can really escalate. Let me play another one here for you, Kyla. And this one took place in in Ontario. Have a listen to this. Police officer stops a guy in a vehicle. Again, guy says he's a a sovereign citizen. Uh, Your laws don't apply to me. It escalates from there. Have a listen. Constable Burkholder, you are served, my my friend. Yep, that's fine. Uh, You can can take that, sir. Yep. Can you open the door? No, sir. You're on my property. You're under arrest. You have a warrant. You heard me. Okay. You've been served. You better read that. And you're saying I'm under arrest yes. for what? You have a warrant. For That's the for the person. I'm not the person, sir. Okay. I'm a man. Okay. You understand that? I suggest you're you read arrest. that warrant because you are liable. If you're right not going to get. <laughs> okay. And so he, this guy was actually trying to serve the police officer with a warrant for harassing him. 
and yes, uh, he ended was- up getting he ended up getting arrested. Kyla, what do you think of these situations? Uh, I think that they're very dangerous. I think it's dangerous mm. for people to engage in this in this rhetoric for a number of reasons. First of all, like if you get sucked into this stuff, it's very hard to get out. People become so persuaded of it. Um, and it ends up leading to, like you said, situations that have escalated where people are attempting to serve the police officers with their warrants or their lawsuits or their whatever documents. And the police officer responds by attempting to effect an arrest. There's an altercation that is, ensues and some gets injured those things yeah. happen frequently yeah and so, i've seen you know, well, i've seen wild ones where the police officer ends up like smashing the window and, uh, and dragging people out mm-hmm. of vehicles you know Yes. And, you know, there's even cases where uh, police officers have um, themselves been injured or where people have ended up with broken bones um, and uh, ended up hospitalized as a result of sort of continuing uh, to act in this way and and escalating a situation that didn't need to be escalated. And for a lot of police officers, they're really tired of hearing this because they've had people scream this nonsense in their face more than enough times. So you're dealing with somebody who's, you know, you never know when they're going to be so on edge that they might lose it and they might, you know, react in a bad way, notwithstanding their training. Yeah, that's a great point. In a lot of these videos that that I've seen, the police, you can tell that the police officer has been through this before. Like sometimes you see the police officer almost like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go again. And we've got another one of these guys. Let's have a listen to Corporal Michael Moore here, BC Highway Patrol on these sovereign citizens. Have a listen. Driving in BC, it's a privilege, it's not a right. So, you know, if you don't abide by the rules set forth in the BC Motor Vehicle Act and or Criminal Code of Canada, then you could lose those privileges. Okay, so you could lose your privileges to drive in, in British Columbia, even if you are a, a, a claim to be a sovereign citizen. Kyla, is he correct? He is correct. And, you know, the problem for these sovereign citizens is as soon as they lose their driving privileges, they say, well, I never have to agree to drive anyway. They continue to drive and they end up facing charges for driving while prohibited, which can carry mandatory minimum jail penalties, depending on how many convictions you have. Yeah. Why do you think this is happening? Like, is this just sort of, as you touched on, sort of conspiracy theory stuff that just spreads like wildfire on the Internet? I sometimes wonder if it's... um, if it's more of a, a stunt to get TikTok likes or something like to create to deliberately try and create a viral video, which a lot of these have gone viral, these videos, do you think that's part of I- what's driving it? I'm sure there are people whose motivation is to create a viral video and who don't honestly believe in what they're saying, but there are a large number of people who honestly believe this. And yeah. there there were some people at some point who read some very old statutes related to what they call maritime and admiralty law. They didn't understand what those statutes said. They didn't understand that that's not the law anymore in Canada. And they misinterpreted it and twisted it to create this fiction, this legal fiction that is now being being disseminated on the internet and people are attracted to it because it's convenient because it's something that helps you avoid responsibility and when you read these things they sound very official they're citing statutes they're talking about the origins of the law so it sounds like it makes sense but it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah no it's not going to work now let's say you are stopped by a police officer and you are served you're going to get a ticket Is there a better way to get out of a ticket? Like, obviously, this sovereign citizen stuff is not going to work. But is there something you could say to a police officer to avoid a ticket? Can like, can you try to explain, ask for a break? (laughs) 
<laughs> I would not recommend doing any of those things. Um, okay. You know, your best your best option to deal with a ticket is to stay silent. Don't make any admissions. Don't try and explain. You know, the most you might want to say to the officer is, thank you, officer. Have a nice day. Be polite because politeness is a not going to make you stick out in the officer's mind as the guy screaming in his face about being a natural person. Um, yeah. And B, it's going to make the officer more likely to want to exercise some leniency towards you if you dispute the ticket and you go to court. So be polite, take the ticket, thank the officer. Um, and if you do have an explanation or a justification or you feel you have a defense, Call a lawyer, contact a lawyer. You can get a free consultation or you can hire a lawyer if you want. Um, you know, and there are also uh, pro bono legal services available. Um, and, and exercise that right, because that's All your right. best bet at getting out of a ticket. Okay. And this, finally, you mentioned that on the sovereign citizen stuff, this trend that we're seeing, that you think it's a, a dangerous kind of trend and that, you know, somebody could get hurt. And I can certainly see how that could happen. What is... Can we, can this genie be put back in the bottle? I'm not, I'm not sure it can. Like it's, this stuff seems to kind of spread very easily online. Do you think there's something that is, could we have like a, a public information campaign to make people aware that this is all a bunch of nonsense? Like what would you do about it or can we do anything about it? I, I unfortunately, I don't think the genie can get put back in the bottle at this yeah. point. A public information campaign, the people who believe in this stuff are just going to call that a government conspiracy to try and persuade you you don't have any rights. Um, and courts have already tried. There are judges who have spent hours and hours writing hundred page long decisions explaining why none of this is has any validity. And people just ignore it. They just say, well, the court is just an illegitimate creation, so I don't have to listen to that judgment. So there is nothing really, there's no reasoning with these people. It's sort of you have to wait for the spell to be lifted and them to realize that continuing with this, this rhetoric is not going to get them the result they want. Kyla Lee is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. George in Abbotsford. Hi, George. Go ahead. Good morning, Mike, and your guest, Kyla. Uh, here's a pleasant experience I had with a policeman being pulled over in Alberta some 30 years ago. Yep, I was in the wrong. I was speeding. Uh, the night of that evening prior, the Oilers knocked the flames out of the playoffs. Okay. So I didn't look very happy when I got pulled over, and he sees that. And he says, um, yeah, you don't look very happy. And he said, uh, you're from Calgary. I said, yeah. He said, I guess you're not happy about the, the Oilers knocking out your flames. I said, no, not really. <laughs> Well, he says, with that level of of uh, displeasure and, and depression, the last thing I need to do is give you a ticket. Aww. So he said, go out, have a nice day. And he said, and by the way, a buddy of mine is a mile down the road. He said, I suggest you watch out for that one as well. Oh. Oh, okay. So he not only let you off the hook, but then he warned you about the guy up the highway. Wow. Yep. I was uh, very happy with that gentleman. Okay, thank you for that, George. Okay, well, this guy caught a break. Kyla, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's the type of break you could only get in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. And apparently only in around Calgary, I guess. Steve in White Rock. Hey, Steve, go ahead. Hi, I don't subscribe to uh, citizen sovereignty, but I'm discriminated against as a particular type of Canadian citizen. I'm a Canadian Republican, and only monarchists in Canada, foreign monarchists, are allowed to be in the RCMP in the military, uh, hold public office as a legislature or as an MP in Parliament, uh, can't be a senator, um, it goes on and on, but you get the gist. I'm actually discriminated against through employment 
Uh, and why why are you why are you discriminated against? Because you won't swear uh, loyalty to the to the king. Well, how could I? I I'm a Republican. He can't mm. represent a Republican in Canada. He doesn't have a chance. Nor can the people that swear allegiance to him. Okay, Kyla, what do you think of that? Uh, I think you'd have a, a difficult case to make out for discrimination on the basis of that, although people have been been successful in arguing that they shouldn't have to swear an oath of allegiance to the queen uh, or the king. Um, it hasn't happened with the king yet that I'm aware of, but um, there were people yeah. who, uh, for example, indigenous people who said it's inconsistent with my values to swear this, this oath of allegiance because of what Britain did to uh, my my people. Um, oh. And that has been upheld as, as a circumstance in which there could be an exception of swearing that oath. Interesting. Okay. Chris and Langley. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Hey, uh, yeah, I wonder if you, these aren't born from... Uh, you know, the videos you also see of people who do know their rights and police, they're overstepping their boundaries. And these police, uh, these, these same videos are making fun of the cops and kind of pushing the, the, the limits, but end up being right because they end up bringing a supervisor, supervisor kind of squashes the issue and they go on their way and then they kind of make fun. So I wonder if this isn't kind of just taking that to the next level and, and then, uh, give me an example, give me an example, give me an example of that. Well, you know, they, they pull them over for, for a false reason, and then they start to fish, and then, you know, they start to do this, and they're demanding that. More in the states of these, these videos I see. So, again, I just wonder if this isn't just an extension of that that's gone to the, the far side that, that becomes crazy. I'm not saying that it's legitimate. I'm just saying, okay. that, you know, you take that and you go to the next level. But I was going to ask, Kyla, is there any lawyers out there, fringe lawyers, that are that are arguing this uh, these type of things or, or, or try to make a case for this? sovereign stuff? I haven't heard of any lawyers who are actually trying to make a case for this. And I think if you did, you would end up uh, sort of being investigated by the Law Society of BC for professional misconduct because it is not grounded in any reasonable interpretation of the law. Reg in Port Coquitlam. Reg, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Let me try to do this. I'm speeding along North uh, Boundary Road with the kids in the back of the van and I got caught in a radar trap. And the policeman comes over and he says, let me see your license. And I reached in my pocket and I forgot my wallet at home. So here I was speeding, no license. I said, oh, uh, he went back to his police car. I said to my daughter, I hope he doesn't throw daddy in jail. She starts to cry. He comes back. He says, why is she crying? I said, well, she thinks you're going to send me to jail. He says, I'm just going to give you a warning today, even though you're speeding and you don't have a license. And it's always good to be polite. Thank you, Reg. Oh, some good advice there at the end. Kyla, we got more calls coming in. We'll just have to have you back on. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. tell you all about the biggest haul of counterfeit toonies ever seized at the border in Canadian history. It happened uh, not that long ago in Montreal. Got Andrew McIntosh standing by to discuss uh, that. But first, let me quickly remind you of this important message this Tuesday, November 28th. It is CKNW Kids Fund Pledge Day, and we will be raising money all day on CKNW, bringing you inspiring stories from BC Kids, supported by your donations. Plus, this year, the Jazz Joe Hall Show will be broadcasting live from 3 to 7 p.m. at the Ballroom of the Hotel Vancouver. 
Make a difference by making a pledge online or in person. Details at CKNWKidsFund.com. CKNW Kids Fund Pledge Day is this Tuesday, November 28th. All right, let's talk about the biggest ever bust counterfeit toonies in Canadian history. Happened at Montreal's Mirabelle Airport. Andrew McIntosh standing by to discuss. Have a listen to this report. This is Global News reporter Taria Isri. A package shipped from China caught the eye of a Canada Border Service Agency officer last January. According to sworn affidavits, when the CBSA officer opened it up, she discovered more than 12,000 fake toonies, all stamped 2012 and stuffed in plastic bags. They were bought for just five cents a piece and addressed to a man named Jean-François Genereux from Sorel, Quebec. Officers allege they discovered another 14,581 counterfeit toonies on his property, in addition to the stockpile uncovered at the airport. More than 26,000 counterfeit coins in all, with a street value of over $53,000. That is the largest bust that has been reported by Canadian authorities. All right, all right. That is a lot of fake toonies. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Global News reporter Andrew McIntosh. He's been on this story. Hey, Andrew, thanks a lot for coming on today. It's my pleasure, Mike. Hey, Andrew, man, that is a lot of counterfeit toonies right there in that one bust, the biggest ever in Canadian history. How did they, uh, how did they spot this? I mean, this sounds like it was a pretty, sh- a pretty smart, sharp-eyed customs officer figured something was up here, right? Yeah, it's a woman named Caroline Laundrie. She was working at the Mirabelle International Airport. And some people out in Vancouver may have passenger airport, but now it's it's a cargo facility. And so they're looking at all the packages that kind of roll in after they get unloaded from some of those big 747 cargo jets. And so Caroline looked at this thing and it said metal badges on the uh, on, on the shipping label. And she looked where it was going, and it said Quebec Cards, Les Cartes Québécois, a card company. See, she, she sort of started scratching her head, going metal badges, going to a clothing company, um, from a clothing company in China, going to a card company in Quebec, and none of it made much sense, so that's when she decided to rip open the package. Okay, so she opens the package, and, and on that shipping label, as you said, it, it, it claimed that it contained 10,000 metal badges in the box and it turns out she opens the box and finds 12,000 fake two dollar canadian coins that is quite uh quite a bust here what were these coins like were they were they are these convincing looking coins do they look fake or do they look they look real well they look and for the untrained and unexpert eye they they can easily look very real uh, I know a lot more about it now, um, and there's a couple of things that distinguish these fakes from real coins, um, but even the customs officer wasn't quite sure, so they called in the Mounties, and they had a, a anti-counterfeiting bureau special forensic person come in, and she pulled 121 samples of these coins out from the package and looked at them all, and they all featured fraudulent features that are not seen on uh, 
the genuine item $2 coin. So that's when they knew they had some fakes. And, and that's when they thought, started getting interested in the guy who they were supposed to go to. And yeah. uh, they, did, they did some spade work on him. And uh, as did we, by the way, at Global News, and discovered he had uh, several convictions for counterfeiting, uh, uttering forged documents, and fraud, amongst other things. But uh, like a, more than two dozen different uh, arrests and encounters with the law over the years since 2002. Wow. Wow. Okay. Sounds like he's been busy. So it, it sounds like these counterfeit tunies were not precise duplicates of, of the real thing. So if someone could take a look at them, especially if you got a trained eye, you could, you could spot the difference. Let's listen to Mike Marshall here, spoke to Global News. He is a counterfeit coin expert. Have a listen to this. If it's a $100 bill, everybody looks at it. A $2 coin, people just don't look at them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So a $2 toonie in your pocket, you might not, you know, ever take a close look at that. So I wonder if that's how many of these things are, are circulating in the in the country. Maybe people got one of them in, in their pocket right now, Andrew. They're, it sounds like they're easy to spot, but if you don't look at them, you don't spot, right? Spot them, right? That, that that's right, and some of them are dirty, and they you know they've been around and into store cashiers and banks and all over the place and repackaged in coin coin packaging facilities. So you know people like you said just generally don't pay attention. They kind of look almost the same, and that's where guys like uh, Mike Marshall come in. And uh, I certainly got an education about this particular bust in Quebec because. We ended up getting what no one else had until now obtained, which is photos of the actual coins, uh, the, the allegedly counterfeit coins that were seized. And so I sent him over to him and he did an analysis. And, uh, you know, it's like for the trained eye, it's really easy, right? There's a there's a Canada on the coin where it should say dollars. There's a, a dollar sign where there should be a two numeral. Uh, and the chin, uh, the queen on the fake coin looks like uh, it's way too long compared to the, the actual uh, features of the queen that appear on the genuine coin. And, and there'll be more on that next week, by the way, because we're going to publish a story about these, these, uh, the differences so that people actually can, uh, we'll show them and people can uh, uh, learn how to spot the fake ones because they're a pain in the uh, in the posterior for business people. If they collect these yeah. things and they bring them to the bank, the bank seizes them, and the they, the merchants don't get any compensation uh, for wow. it. So it's like uh, it's uh, nobody has an incentive to sort of say, "Hey, t- Mr. Banker, uh, I got 15 fake toonies in the till today. Um, can you switch swap them out for real ones, please?" Because they won't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting, and I'm glad to hear you guys are, are doing more investigating on this. I'm speaking to Andrew McIntosh, Global News reporter. We're talking about the bust of the biggest ever bust of counterfeit toonies in Canadian history. And I wonder if this might be even bigger than we realize, especially if these fake, uh, fake toonies or fake currency is being smuggled into Canada basically through the mail 
Let's have a listen to UBC professor James Wang on that point. He uh, talked to Global News about this. How, how much, how big is this? How much of this are we catching? Have a listen here. Canada Customs, it's, it's very, it's, it's, they're busy, so they can't inspect every single package that comes in, and that's an issue. Yeah, he says Canada Customs obviously can't open every single package coming into the, into the country. So I wonder if this might be bigger than we even imagine. Andrew, your thoughts? Uh, it, it absolutely is, um, and uh, the evidence demonstrates it, because Mr. Jennerer actually had uh, two packages uh, imported into Canada from China and shipped to his house before they identified the fake package, uh, which is why they went with a search warrant to his house to see if it, they were there was more metal badges sitting around, as it were, and found, uh, I mean, they, they found stuff in boxes, thousands of them, just in, stored in his, uh, across his apartment. There was a bunch stashed in a cat litter bucket. There was a bunch stashed uh, in a Walmart bag. And they, they even found some that hadn't even been unpacked yet that were in his storage unit. Uh-huh. Um, and the interesting thing is some of these same tunies have, with the same features and markings, have appeared in at least one other Canadian city in the province of Ontario. And we'll, we'll tell you more about that next week. But that seems to suggest that, that uh, they're circulating. Uh, so he obviously yeah. got some some into the system. Uh, now, did somebody else uh, buy them? Uh, is this part of a, a systemic problem? The CBSA, the people that are responsible for keeping you know, counterfeit uh, goods out of the country, say it is a problem. They said that these metal coin factories in China are pumping out thousands of these things and selling them on, on Alibaba to anybody who wants to, to buy them. And you think, well, What's the economics on this, right? It's like, how can anybody make any money on this? They're well, they're selling them for a nickel each. So if you're yeah. looking at buying a two-dollar coin for a face value of five cents, that leaves a lot of profit to the guy who's able to pass them, yeah. even even after he pays for shipping. Andrew, great work on this story. I'm looking forward to the next installment on it. Thanks for coming on today. You're very welcome, Tim. I mean, Mike. Oh, can we do that again? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.